You are now in session with the Hope Podcast, the podcast bringing you healing, empowerment, and evolution. We are your hosts, Tarani and Brittany, two practicing therapists creating a safe space for melanated mental health. Welcome back to the Hope Podcast. Today's episode is called Hashtag Stuck in the Stereotype. So before we begin the episode, let's talk about some of the stereotypes that are within the Black community. For each race and for each gender roles, there are certain stereotypes. So many of you know, as African-American females, the most notorious stereotype that we get is angry Black female. There's also the stereotype of being the strong Black independent female. Many of you are probably saying, well, how is being a strong independent Black female a negative stereotype? But it can be perceived as negative because it can tell people that This person does not need any help. This person is uh, a person that can stand on their own. We can just keep piling things on top of them, on top of them, and they're not going to check on your emotional or physical well-being. So it can be perceived as negative. Also, there are stereotypes that we are ghetto, we are uneducated, we are aggressive. Whenever we are vocal or passionate about things, it's not deemed as passion, it's deemed as aggression. And then also, when there's one Black person, we get the stereotype that this one Black individual represents the whole community. Right. So as we move on from what are some of the stereotypes, so hearing that, that's that's just a few. So I know many of you listening have heard your own stereotypes. Maybe you believe in some of the stereotypes. So don't think that just the ones that we listed are the only ones out there. There are many more. But moving to the point where we said that one person is the representation of the whole community. This is when you go into the stereotypes and discrimination within the workplace. Sometimes you will be the only person of color, especially as you climb higher and higher up in the career world. There's not many people that look like you there. So you become the representation for the whole community, which adds more pressure because not only are you trying to do your job, but you're also trying to represent a whole community that you didn't even ask to be the representation for. And it all goes into the fact that the majority is given the opportunity, the space, and the freedom to paint pictures of the minority of all the time, and they're not challenged for it. And it, it just goes into the fact of that when we are allowing other people's stereotypes to define us, it can cause for stress. It can cause for things to become very uh, toxic environments for us. My silence, even as a Black woman, your silence can be perceived as negative. If you don't fit their stereotype, then they will try and paint one for you and then cast you as the angry Black female. It's super important that we are able to kind of tell you our experiences as Black women, because we know that we're not the only ones who have dealt with this in our day-to-day lives. To be honest, you can see these stereotypes and these different portrayals of what Black America is all around you. It's everything for us. So when people say things like, I don't see color, that's completely false because Mm -hmm. color is a big part of my identity. Mm -hmm. Color is a big part of my culture. Color is a big part of my representation of my reality. And it's a big part of the way that my worldview is set up and the way that the world views me. 
we even see color in the media around us. And that's one really big topic that I kind of wanted to bring to this podcast is the way that the media portrays things and pushes out a particular narrative. So right now, something really popular that's going on that has brought up a really important conversation about colorism is basketball lives. So when we talk about stereotypes and colorism, a lot of people start to think that we're talking about like these big, bad, superior, quote unquote, superior groups. Mm -hmm. But really, stereotypes and colorism and prejudices are portrayed in our own women, in our own people, in our own men. So in Basketball Wives, a big thing that's going on right now is that the entire cast seems to be going against this Nigerian woman on the show named OG. Mm -hmm. And OG, to be honest, is something like the first of her kind that's been on Basketball Wives. She's dark-skinned. She's proud. She's bold. She has traditional Nigerian features, African features, the same features that a lot of us would have had there not been any other mixes of races within our bloodline. So she has very African-based features. And what we'll see on the show is that a lot of the women will call OG ugly Mm -hmm. because she doesn't have traditional standards of beauty. Yeah, white standards of beauty. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just all to it. And then you have a lot of people on the cast, um, like there's Evelyn Lozada um, and Evelyn, OG called Evelyn racist. She called Evelyn a bigot. She called Evelyn a colorist and a bully, a bully, which yeah. is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Evelyn even came out and said that she was Afro Latina and that she couldn't be racist or she couldn't be colorist because she was Afro Latina, which makes absolutely zero sense. Um, We can all be of African descent, yet experience completely different things based on the color of our skin and based on our features. Yeah, and I think that her coming out now after so many years of her being a public figure and now saying, hey, I can't be these things because I'm Afro-Latina. It sounds so much like the narrative of when someone calls a white person, when they're called racist, the first thing that they go to is, I have a black friend. Right. I have <laughs> I have a black wife. I have a black this. So then it becomes a justification of why I'm not racist as opposed to looking at the actions that they took part in that makes them a reason why they're being called racist. So it's like, you don't have to justify it. Look at your actions, accept and own the things that you've done that now you have this label as opposed to just running to, oh no, I'm not racist because now I'm Afro-Latina. Right. And I mean, it's also a very important thing, like just looking at the situation that we as a people need to be culturally competent enough to where we listen to one another's experiences to understand and not Mm -hmm. to justify and judge. And that is one big instance where I see that happening. Um, Another big part of the show, other than them seeming to kind of um, push OG out of the friend group, because of her being so different in features and color from the rest of the cast 
is that they say that OG is aggressive. Mm-hmm. Where we've seen hands down the most aggressive person on the show has been Evelyn. Yep. Yet it speaks to how the broader society sees darker skinned people who have more African-based features. They see us as aggressive. Mm-hmm. Although Evelyn has thrown drinks at people, Evelyn has fought people, Evelyn has bullied people, everybody except Tammy Romans. Now she couldn't <laughs> bully Tammy. That wasn't about to happen. But <laughs> she's bullied people. Not even just bullied right. with verbal threats. She has become physical, has physical aggression against several of the castmates, throwing bottles, running across tables, throwing drinks, slapping people. She has actually acted upon her verbal threats. Right. While as OG, she says a lot of verbal things. She defends herself. She's very passionate. But they're fearful of her words, whereas they're not fearful of Evelyn, who has acted upon her own words. And again, as Brittany has um, discussed, it's because of how society sees it. Right. They see Evelyn as this lighter skin. She is the standard of beauty. She has soft, beautiful hair. She looks like something that, oh, she's not as aggressive. And her aggression is funny. It's cute. Right. Oh, Evelyn is mad, the hot-headed Latina. It's cute. But when OG does it, it's I fear for my life now. Right. I'm scared. So it goes into, why are you scared when OG does it, but you're not scared when Evelyn does it? All right. Like that. that is a serious question that needs to be had. Why has Evelyn been able to go season to season attacking people and not be seen as the person who's aggressive and not have restraining orders put on her? Yet she goes and puts a restraining order on OG Mm -hmm. for just being able to read her well and get good receipts on her. So that's something to look at. Also, um, another thing that I haven't quite seen a lot of people talk about Mm -hmm. with uh, colorism and worldview and um, prejudice and the way that the broader society sees us is with this show, a lot of the ladies on the show do not go by their government names. Mm -hmm. Now, that says a lot because we have Malaysia on the show whose real name is actually Laquisha. And Malaysia is not going by Laquisha. We also have Shawnee on the show whose real name, if I'm not mistaken now, I might be butchering this, but it's Vershania or Versania. It's something, but it's not Shawnee. <laughs> so that creates an important point of why do we sometimes as a people find it difficult to go by names that come from a cultural stance, that come from a cultural background because we foresee that those names may be ghetto or they may not be as accepted by society. But then what we'll see in this society is that if you find a name on a job application or a resume that says Laquisha, think about how likely that name is to be called in for an interview than a Sam, a Bob, a Sarah, or a Beth. Yeah. So from the beginning, early on, from the moment that we are born and given our names, we're taught to hate ourselves. We're taught to change ourselves to be accepted. And we allow the stereotypes to continue to grow when we do things like that, where we don't want to go by our names. I have a very unique, sometimes hard to pronounce for people. (laughs) (laughs) 
and it's okay. My name is Tarani, and yeah. I will repeat it over and over again. No, you cannot give me a nickname because you can pronounce whatever you choose to. Right. I want the same respect for my name as well. And I think that in society, we teach especially African-American individuals and individuals who are of different descents that we have to give ourselves like a, a name that's softer for them to pronounce or are yes. more acceptable for the resume. And we are in the end, we're okay in the stereotype. Right. No, you're going to accept Tarani as the educated person. You're going to read my resume Give me the job. Give me the seat at the table because my name does not define me. I define my name. And I think that when we start to see on platforms such as Basketball Wives and on public figures where those people who have names like LaQuisha, you are going to give a voice for a LaQuisha that's still defining herself, still wanting to be there. And if she sees that, hey, she doesn't even want to go by this name. Why? Right. Why should I? Like it's inspiring to know that somebody has a platform, whether it's a platform of reality TV or where whatever it is, and you share the same name. That's motivation within itself. Right. So be true with who you are. And there's little black girls and little little black boys that are watching these shows. Mm -hmm. And there may be some little black girls out there that are dark skinned, have Africanoid features like an OG, and they're seeing this type of treatment on reality TV. It reminds me of an experiment that was done a couple of years ago where they had these children look at these different baby dolls. Yeah. And there was the lighter baby dolls that were on like the white side. And then there was a very, very dark skinned, deep complected baby doll. And they asked the children a bunch of different questions. Now, these were children from all different ethnic backgrounds, white children, biracial children, Indian children, black children, all different backgrounds. But they would ask the child, which child looks like the bad child? Which child is the ugly child? Which child looks like the child that has problems or the stupid child? Which baby is that one? And Almost majority of the time, the children would choose the darker skinned baby doll to represent the ugly one, the stupid one, the problem child, the aggressive child. They would choose that darker skinned one. So that tells us as a society, we are learning this as children. Mm -hmm. We are learning that there is something wrong with just being darker toned, which is a beautiful skin tone. It's something so beautiful about us being highly melanated people. There's nothing wrong with that. But even as children, this society is teaching us to hate ourselves. Yeah. And if you guys are listening and you know that we are um, a podcast that is focused on mental health, and you may be saying, how is the discussion of basketball wives and stereotypes therapeutic? It is because it talks about self-esteem. So does. a lot of people that we encounter, a lot of children that we see, they have self-esteem issues. And self-esteem issues then translate into they are in relationships that they should have left years ago. They are settling in life. They have anxiety. They have this fear because of the stereotypes in society. So stereotypes does not just keep us away from jobs, but stereotypes affect our mental health as well. It 
makes us more conscious in life where our counterparts are more carefree, where they're living freely, where they're not overthinking childhood, as opposed to now we have to start having conversations with our kids about how to interact with police officers. Right. Because we have to say the stereotypes right now is that police officers, not all, but some see a black person, particularly black males as threats. So these stereotypes affect us. It causes race related stress. And these are things that we have to talk about. And then we talk about the media because children watch TV. Everyone has some form of social media. And when we see these things, when we see blogs talk about the fact that OG it, from Basketball Wives is considered aggressive while Evelyn is not, it goes back to childhood when they will send an African-American child out for detention or place them on suspension as opposed to the white counterpart where let's test this child for gifted, let's test this child for this, but automatically behavior problems in African-American people of color, those students is automatically, it's okay, that's bad behavior. Something else is going wrong as opposed to, hey, that child may be gifted as well. Or there was a recent case where I believe the child was six years old and was arrested from the school. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. so these stereotypes uh, start very early. They're trained very early to say, even as a child, a black person is a threat. And so. that's actually happened close to home. I mm -hmm. have a um, friend here who, now I'm not going to put his name out there. I'm not going to tell you business. Mm -hmm. But he's a young black man from uh, St. Rose, Louisiana. And he was arrested at the age of five for throwing a temper tantrum in school. Mm -hmm. And that completely impacted the way that he's viewed life in general and the way that he's kind of viewed authority figures. Um so this stuff happens around us every single day. Mm -hmm. We are seen as threats from small children. And it's so important that we look at the way that the media does things to fit a narrative. Yeah. Because a lot of times we have to question why does the media show different things and what exactly is the media trying to get us to believe or trying to get us to understand? Because what we see affects our perception of ourselves and of others. Yeah. So that's a big portion of our mental health. And that's a big portion of our worldview and how we treat each other. Mm -hmm. One really big instance of that that's been talked about on social media is the Botham Jean case. Yeah. So the Botham Jean case, everybody should kind of know about this case because it's been all over the place. But um, basically, a young black man from Dallas, Texas, is sitting in his home. Eating ice cream. Eating ice cream, minding his business in the place that he pays rent at. Okay. And a white female police officer. Off duty. Let's add that. Off duty. Walks into his apartment shoots him down in cold blood while he's minding his own business. Mm -hmm. and, and No, and I was saying, and, and with this case, it shows, it goes back to when Brittany was talking about the narrative that the media pushes. When this case originally started and they had a 
very um, professional picture of Botham. Right. And they had a mug shot of the officer, of the murderer. We celebrated that. Oh, yeah. We celebrated it because oftentimes the narrative in the media, even if the African-American person is a victim, they will still victimize the victim. If you go back to the Trayvon Martin cases, they will use pictures of him pointing his middle finger. They would use softer pictures of the actual criminal and use these pictures that fit the stereotype that black people are aggressive, that they're ghetto. So we simply celebrated something that should be the norm. We should use people who are the victims. We should use their actual pictures that show them who they really are. And when you are a murderer, your mugshot should be used. But in this case, it was the first time that I can recall that they got the pictures right, that they got the narrative right for the moment. But then the narrative changed as the case went on. Right. And this is the thing. We don't care that the murderer went to an honor school. We don't care that they were on the Boy Scouts. We don't care about the mental health issues. And I'm saying that as a therapist because a lot of times they'll say, oh, well, they had ADHD. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that has nothing to do with the fact that you went and murdered someone in cold blood. Okay. Um, And though mental health is important to us as therapists, a lot of times the media will use that as an excuse for the attacker. Yet the victims, a lot of times, are people who have had mental health complications in the past as and well. it's never mentioned. We don't mention that. We don't talk about that at all. So these are the things. We, we don't want the media pushing things that makes us sympathize with the attacker, yet overshadowing the victim of the case. Mm-hmm. So a really big thing that's been going on now, because the trial has gone on at this point, and what we saw in that trial was... A lot of things that people on social media have said has been really atrocious. Yeah. We've saw the judge come down from her bench to hug. And give a personal Bible to give, a murderer. Give, give her a Bible. Hug her. She got 10 years. We, we've we seen black men get more than 10 years for weed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was something crazy. And then we see the- The bailiff the was bailiff. rubbing her hair, caressing her. All right. Then- Again, this here as therapists, the grief process looks different for every single person. So how Botham's brother decided to grieve, um, that was up to him. So however, the media chose to portray this hug that he gave to the murderer They tried to use that to flip the narrative for her now to be painted as the face of forgiveness. Right. And we don't see that when it is an African-American or a person of color on trial. There is no let's flip the narrative and make this monster now the face of forgiveness. Right. But then it goes back to the stereotypes that are within the white community. And those stereotypes unfortunately, are more beneficial for them. For white women, the stereotype is, oh, this is such an innocent person. She didn't mean to do this. So that hug in the moment, it was innocent for him, but the media took it to go and push that narrative of that these white women are incapable of doing heinous crimes that what she did. Yeah, and then there's also the narrative that 
black people should forgive every injustice that happens to us. What I've been seeing on social media is the docile black person. Like we should be docile. We should turn the other cheek. No matter what other people do to us, we should just be forgiving and welcome them back with open arms. And while I am all for forgiveness, as a therapist, I even practice with my clients that forgiveness is a healing process. It doesn't happen in five minutes majority of the time. It is a healing process. It takes time to come to terms that someone has even wronged you, much less to jump to forgiveness. Now, I cannot speak for Botham's brother. I don't know what was going on. I don't know what was going through his head. I don't know if he truly forgiven her. It could be 100% valid, but I question why did the media choose to show that particular moment? And why, after this trial, have I not seen any more pictures of Botham? Now, I'm seeing pictures of this brother hugging mm -hmm. this murderer. Her mugshot totally disappeared. Disappeared. Now it's the hug. Yeah. Now it's the hug. Now it's forgiveness. Now it's mm -hmm. people can do whatever to you and you should just forgive because that's the Christian way. And it goes back to how we talked about earlier, that strong black woman narrative, that strong black male narrative that's taught. And it's taught to us the saying that, oh, you can handle whatever. I can keep doing these things to you. You're going to forgive me. You're going to be able to be resilient. All of those are good qualities, but at the same time, who heals and hurt and, and worries about our well-being? So that's why that strong black woman, that strong black male narrative can be dangerous because they don't see you like they see the counterparts of needing forgiveness, of needing help, of needing healing. You're strong. You got this. That's the right. narrative they push. So as we move on throughout the podcast from one case that just ended, unfortunately, there's another case here to discuss just a short few weeks later. A Tatiana Jefferson, she was also killed in her home in Texas, in Fort Worth, Texas. She was shot by a white officer that was there to do a wellness check. Right turned into a fatal shooting. Um, this case is a little bit different. I went to Xavier University. She went to Xavier University. We both graduated in the same year. So I didn't know her personally, but being from the Xavier community, it hurts hearing that you've lost someone that was a part of your community, someone that was reaching for their goals and they were senselessly taken from this world by the hands of someone who was trigger happy. And not only trigger happy, but someone who is supposed to serve and protect because that officer was called to the scene to protect and to basically make sure everyone was okay. And he ended up shooting someone who was just there visiting a family member. Um, so we over here at the hope podcast hope for the sake of a Tatiana, that the narrative is not switched from this case to take the attention off of her. We hope that justice is served for a Tatiana and that she gets all of the justice that she deserves and that it is portrayed accurately 
in the media and that we know who she is. Moving through this, I kind of wonder if this case had been a narrative of Black on Black crime, kind of like with the witness in the Botham Jean case. He apparently, according to the media, was killed by Black men that traveled from Louisiana to Dallas and shot him in a drug deal. Now, I'm not going to even go into whether I believe this narrative or not, because this episode will be 24 hours long. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to even go through whether I believe that because I will become a revolutionary and get on my soapbox. And I'm not going to do that to y'all. Y'all trying to make it to work. But funny enough, we haven't really seen much about that incident on television. The media hasn't really talked about that. And it makes me wonder if, like many other cases, it's not really talked about, it's not hyped, forgiveness isn't pushed. We're not talking about all that right now because it is another case of what society would call Black-on-Black crime. Now, Black-on-Black crime is something that's kind of... A false narrative. It's a false narrative. It's something that really gets under my skin when I hear people say it because Black-on-Black crime does not exist. Mm -hmm. Yes, you heard me say that. (laughs) It does not exist. And the reason why I say it does not exist is because people tend to harm or kill people that are in their vicinity. Black people tend to live around other Black people, just like white people tend to live around other white people, Hispanic people tend to live around other Hispanic people, and so on and so forth. So we will kill or injure people in our vicinities, and that does not mean that Black people do it at any more alarming rates than any other race does. So it kind of goes back to earlier when we talked about the fact that Evelyn Lozada started pushing a narrative. Wait, 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 I'm Afro-Latina. Or wait a minute, I actually have one Black friend. That is the reason why Black on Black crime was created. It was pushed as a narrative to justify the fact that there was racism and there were cases where African-American people of color were being killed by white people, white officers. So they used the the narrative of black on black crime of, well, they're actually killing each other at higher rates, but that's something that's false. Black on black crime, it should not even be something that we discuss in 2019, because if that's the case, there's white on white crime, there's Asian on Asian crime. As Brittany has said, who you are close to, who you are around, that is most likely where you would commit the crime. You're not going to drive hours away. Well, you may, but (laughs) most people don't. (laughs) You are. Yeah. It just goes back to you're going to the crime is going to be committed within your community because you are in the same vicinity of each other. Right. And then they'll bring up instances such as Chicago, like, you know, we'll call Chicago. Chirac. Chirac. We'll call it Chirac. Okay. Um, But whenever we have white people, white men who tend to be the mass shooters in this country. 
that will go and shoot up schools. Or churches. Or churches or malls. Or concerts. Concerts, baby showers, all that. Movies. All that. So, typically, if you notice on the news, they are killing other white people. And you don't hear white-on-white crime being used. We do not hear white-on-white crime in those instances, although it is them killing people that look like them, killing children that look like them. When they shot up that concert in Las Vegas, I believe that was like a country concert. I believe so. Um, And there were a lot of Caucasian people at that concert that were killed by a Caucasian shooter. But we don't mention white-on-white crime in those instances. And it goes back full circle to us talking about the stereotypes of one person in the Black community can commit a crime, can kill another black person, and then all of a sudden it's the whole community. It's black-on-black crime. Black people can't stop being violent and hurting one another. But whenever white people or white men go and shoot up a school or shoot up a mall or shoot up some vicinity that typically encompasses other white people, we say that's a lone wolf. We say that's an isolated crime. We say that person had issues and that's the reason why they did it. They do not represent their entire race of people. Mm-hmm. So it's just so important wrapping up this episode that we remember as a people to be culturally competent. We remember as a people to recognize the things that others go through and to listen to understand other people's perspectives and worldviews. We all have different things that we face throughout life. And it's important that we as a people recognize that and we do not allow the media to create the narrative for us that we get out and we define our own narrative Mm -hmm. and we learn people for who they are, not for who we believe they are because of what we've been fed or what we've been told, but we learn people for who they are and we continue to grow and learn one another. Yeah. I think that was perfectly said. And it's very important that we get into therapy because if we're looking at the media, if we look at social media, if we look at TV, it seems like an attack on minorities. This can heighten anxiety for us. The fear of even if you look into the Hispanic culture, the fear of ICE right now, that they're the fear of police brutality. So there's a lot of things that cause race-related stress and anxiety. So it's very important to have these conversations and to have a safe space where you can discuss your feelings, discuss the fact that now even more so we are trying to survive, survive in the workplace, survive just traveling from your home to work or now we have to survive in our own homes. Right. We have to try and figure out how to be safe in our own homes. That is scary. These individuals were at peace in their homes. Botham was eating ice cream. Um, Jefferson, she was playing video games with her nephew. So imagine the amount of stress and anxiety that causes where now if you hear something at your door or you hear someone at your window You don't know if that's going to be your last time looking out of a window, opening up your door. So all of these things has heightened the stress, has heightened anxiety, and it's important. Please get into therapy or get into a support group, vent to your friends, talk about these things. 
because they're very real. And as you guys see, we're in Louisiana, but Texas is right here. This beautiful young woman went to Xavier. It's you starting to feel that it's hitting closer to home. Right. Each time it seems a little bit more personal. So I say protect yourself, pray yourself up, but also go into therapy. So as we leave you, we want to leave you with a message of hope to know that things can and will get better. And then that we have to be very protective of each other and of ourselves and that we have to remove these stereotypes and don't get stuck in the stereotype. So we'll leave you with this quote here. Never be limited by other people's limited imaginations of you. That's all for today's episode. Remember, if you'd like a daily dose of hope, you can follow us on Instagram at The Hope Podcast. Stay hopeful and holistic.